Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan. And since there's no games on the field to talk about, we get to spend this podcast talking off-season news. And man, was there a lot of off-season news that happened at the end of the week this week. So let's dive into it. We're going to be talking 40-man roster. We're going to be talking Guardians merch. We're going to be talking MLB awards and news and things like that. So there is a lot to get into in this episode. And we got another email from our friend Chris. So uh, if you want to email the show, if you want to get your thoughts and opinions and questions in this offseason, you can hit me up, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. This show is open to you. If you have thoughts and opinions, email them in and we'll discuss them on the show. So Chris, we will get to your email. Unfortunately, his first question was swallowed up in the news cycle. It was about who they were going to protect on the 40-man roster. So we will definitely get into that. I thought about doing something cheesy like 40 thoughts on the 40-man roster or something like that, but I'll save that for the beat reporters. Those The beat reporters love articles like that. It's easy fodder during the offseason. So we'll just talk about it. We'll just talk about it. And uh, really, it's our top story kind of kicking things off because uh, the the Guardians made some major moves. I mean, major moves here at the 40-man deadline. So Friday at 6 o'clock was the deadline to set your 40-man roster going into the offseason. Any player left off of this 40-man roster who, based on age and experience criteria, were eligible for the Rule 5 draft are now unprotected and available for the Rule 5 draft. So, um, yeah, the Guardians had some major decisions to do, and they protected 11 players that were previously not on the 40-man roster that now are. And that is by far the most I was seeing around Major League Baseball. Other teams were doing four, three. I think the most I saw was maybe six players protected. And the Guardians do 11 11 players. That is huge. So let's get into who is left off, who was released to make space for those 11, and who are the 11 added, including a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. So first, a quick farewell to the guys left off the roster. Now, there were guys that were left off the roster uh, in previous weeks, you know, other moves that were made, and we discussed those in previous episodes. So if you want to hear my thoughts about some of those guys, go back and check out the previous episode, which a lot of you have. The numbers this offseason have actually been fantastic. Some of the numbers this offseason episodes were better than some of the season, you know, some of the in-season episodes we were doing in August and September. So clearly there is still interest for Guardians baseball uh, here in Cleveland and around the world. So, all right, let's get into these names. So uh, they let go of Daniel Johnson and Harold Ramirez from the outfield. That was a huge decision, an absolute huge decision, because we talked about in previous episodes, one of the questions they had to answer was amongst those four outfielders, Ramirez, Johnson, Zimmer, Mercado, who are you going to keep, who are you going to protect, and who are you going to let walk to make room on the 40-man roster? We kind of knew the outfield was something that needed to be addressed this offseason, and boy, Could you get more clear of an answer from the front office than this? They let Daniel Johnson and Harold Ramirez basically walk, and they're hanging on to Zimmer Mercado for now. Now, all of this comes with a for now caveat, because if the Guardians make a trade, 
if they want to go get someone in the Rule 5 draft, if they want to sign a free agent, someone is going to have to be moved off the 40-man roster. That very easily could be Zimmer and Mercado. Very easily. But for now, they're telling you that they think that Zimmer and Mercado are still worth hanging on to, worth keeping an investment in, and Daniel Johnson and Harold Ramirez just weren't. Frankly, Harold Ramirez's defense was pretty rough. I loved watching Harold Ramirez line the most ridiculously hard line drives all around progressive field. But his defense was pretty rough in left field. I don't know how he was ever a center fielder uh, for Miami. And it wasn't worth it. There were too many good, young, athletic outfielders available to continue to waste time on Harold Ramirez there. And Daniel Johnson just could never hit at the major league level. Now, it it might not be his fault. It literally might be the Guardians' fault that they never gave him a real shot. But, I mean, how many times do we have to watch Daniel Johnson strike out he got a couple of line drive home runs late in the season. But how many times do we have to watch him strike out at the major league level to think maybe this guy peaks at AAA? Maybe he does. Maybe he goes somewhere else and figures it out. Both of those guys will catch on. In fact, most of these guys will catch on on somebody's spring training, right? This is not the last you've heard their names. But, uh, I mean, there's always a chance any of these guys can be offered a minor league contract with an invite for spring training for the Guardians. But... Uh, yeah, clearly they were done watching him strike out. They never had a lot of confidence in his bat to begin with because they never gave him a real opportunity like they've given Zimmer and Mercado. So they're sticking with those guys. I think Zach Meisel was reporting that uh, Mercado and somebody else were here in Cleveland working with new hitting coach Chris Valeka. So clearly that shows that Mercado is someone they are not giving up on. Um, the other names that went, J.C. Mejia, Scott Moss, Kyle Nelson, Justin Garza, and Alex Young. All pitchers. Uh, most of those guys probably battling for bullpen spots. I was surprised Garza. I thought he did okay. He was always put in very tough roles. He was the guy you'd roll out there in the third inning when the starter just completely imploded. So I'm not sure Garza really got a fair shake. Kyle Nelson and Alex Young were pretty rough. Those guys, those guys, I think they picked up from other franchises, and it never really worked. Um, it was pretty rough. Scott Moss, apparently, I'm hearing that he was just injured a ton, and he's getting up there. I mean, getting up there in age 27 for the Guardians franchise. Oh, I almost slipped. That was almost my first one of the podcast for the Guardians franchise. 27 years old is kind of ancient. I mean, this is a serious youth movement right now. And J.C. Mejia obviously had his struggles, right? Obviously, um, he had a 1-7 record on the season with an 8.25 ERA, got 11 starts, 17 games he pitched in, 52 innings, and yeah, 161 whip. It was a really rough season for a guy who probably didn't expect to spend that much time in the majors, probably expected to be a AAA guy this year, and he becomes a victim of this roster crunch. Now, I see some people celebrating on Twitter. Indians, Guardians Twitter, personally, I I think his slider could have played out of the bullpen. I really do. They hit, uh, they only hit 128 against his slider, only slugged 319. It had a 41.7 whiff rate, 41.7 swing and miss on that slider. And it put a, hitters away 23.8% of the time with that slider. 
He was also working on a curveball that was really good. They only hit 0.77 off of his curveball. They hit less than 100 off of his curveball. Now, it did not have the same whiff rate. Only a 10.3 whiff rate. Um, so, he wasn't getting a swing and miss, I guess. I don't know. Were they pounding it into the ground or something like that? Uh, I mean, the yeah, the launch angle and the exit velocity are way down off of his uh, curveball there. So, um Maybe they were just not making solid contact with that. But, uh, I mean, that sounds like a guy that you could make work in your bullpen if his breaking stuff is that dominant. Now, he only threw the curveball 64 times, so clearly something he was kind of working on towards the end of the season maybe. Uh, But, yeah, the slider, he threw it second most behind the sinker. The sinker got pounded. 366 batting average against that sinker. Uh, A 584... Or no, a 624 slugging percentage, a 584 expected slugging sp- percentage, but in actuality, they slugged 624 off of his sinker, and they slugged 724 off of his forcing fastball, but not the slider, not the slider. The slider worked. So I was surprised that they couldn't find a spot in their bullpen for him. Now, let's talk about the players that were added, because there is some exciting stuff out here. First, from AAA, and I love that Mandy Bell in her article has it broken down like this. From AAA, they protected outfielder Stephen Kwan. They protected right-handed pitcher Cody Morris. And they protected infielder Richie Palacios. Now, this is some big news. Palacios also has been getting time in the outfield. He's been kind of moved all over, knowing they're going to have to find a spot for him on the field. uh, And it might not be the infield. There's just too many guys playing the infield right now in Cleveland. So, uh, Stephen Kwan is huge because this guy had a ridiculously good batting average. He was dominating AAA hitting. I'm just smoking the ball all over. So, Kwan is someone who is going to go into spring training with a real shot, a real shot to do what a Tyler Naquin did, to do what an Oscar Mercado did, and break through the major league outfield and become... Stephen Kwan could be a starting outfielder for us. He really could... Uh, or a fourth outfielder for us come opening day. That's a real possibility. Same thing with Palacios. Uh, I think he's got a little more work in front of him just because he doesn't have a defined fielding position. But both of those guys are going to be scratching at the door in spring training. They're gonna. These aren't the guys that are going to come in in the seventh, eighth inning of a random March 1st game. These are guys that are going to, they might be rotated through in starting spots in the spring training outfield. So look for that. Cody Morris is going to be someone who is definitely going to be providing starting pitching uh, support. I mean, really, you know, he's going to be there in the six through nine spots in the rotation. The guys you have starting at AAA, ready to come up when the situation calls for it. And be a starter on this team. He is in that mix right now. And there are there are probably eight names, nine names of starting pitchers uh, that are going to be ready to go for the Guardians this season. And we're going to get to more of them here. Uh, from Double A, Connor Pilkington. We talked about him. The guy they got for Cesar Hernandez over in the White Sox. And I believe the White Sox declined the option on Cesar Hernandez. So... Boy, you might have gotten a really, really good pitcher from the Chicago White Sox in that trade deadline deal. 
man, the, the Guardians are really, formerly the Indians, well, I mean, they were the Indians when they made that trade, so they were really, really good at getting these kind of pitchers. So he is someone that they protect, Connor Pilkington. They also protect from AA Tyler Freeman, infielder, catcher Brian Lavastida, infielder Brian Rocchio, infielder Jose Pena, who's very young, and outfielder George Valera, who maybe not at the beginning of the season, but by the middle of the season might be another option in that Cleveland outfield. And then from high A ball, they protect infielder Joinsky Noel. Now, some people were a little surprised about Tanya and Joanski Noel because they're both very, very young. And uh, it's a stretch to think someone would go get someone from high A baseball, from the Lake County captains, and put them on their major league roster. But we've seen it. We've seen it before. And, uh, you know, if you've got someone that you really covet, You've got to protect them in this Rule 5 draft. There too many. One of, the, one of the best examples of this, the best example of this, is Roberto Clemente, the legend, was selected in the Rule 5 draft. Another team had Roberto Clemente in their system, and the Pittsburgh Pirates went and plucked him in the Rule 5 draft, and then he goes on to be one of the greatest Hall of Famers of all time. If that is not a constant reminder to front offices that you, if you covet someone, you really have to make sure you protect him this time of year. Uh, I, I don't know what is, what a better example that is. Uh, I, other names I saw, I, Jose Santana, uh, Johan Santana was another name I saw in an article. And then uh, recently, uh, Akil Badu on the Tigers is, was the recent example um, in this article that I was reading. So, uh, yeah, we saw what Badu did uh, for the Tigers this season, and he was very young when he was selected. So, Joensky Noel gets protected, and Jose Tina gets protected. And Tina, it's a good thing, because guess what? Guess who just won the Arizona Fall League batting title? 20-year-old Cleveland Guardians Jose Tina. He takes the batting title out there in Arizona, in the what they're considering the premier spot for minor league players to play in the fall. And yeah, he basically wins the MVP out there, kind of. So that is definitely someone worth protecting. So we'll see where these guys end up starting, uh, you know, what level they end up starting at, what where they are in the mix in spring training will be interesting. Is Tyler Freeman getting reps? He's going to be coming back from, from season-ending surgery. Is he going to be getting reps with uh, with Gabriel Arias, with Andres Jimenez, or is he going to kind of still be in that second tier um, when it comes to infielders? Uh, is he going to be, are these guys going to be all up a level? Is Freeman, Lavastida, Pilkington, Rocchio, even Tanya and Valera going to be starting in AAA this year? And are they going to be knocking on the door to get to Cleveland? So, man, yeah, what a haul of prospects to protect on the 40-man roster. And then they go out and make a trade. They go out and trade, uh, and the guard, the uh, Rays were making a couple of trades. They traded a pitcher to Oakland Athletics for cash, just straight up for cash. And then they trade Tobias Myers to Guardians for minor league infielder Junior Camanero. Now, I didn't know much about uh, Camanero, but Tobias Myers was the 29th ranked prospect in the Rays system. 
And frankly, from what I'm hearing, really good strike thrower. Really, really good strike thrower. Big strikeout guy. Here's the grades that they have on MLB.com. They've got them on a fastball. And remember, this is the 20 to 80 grading scale. Now, it's usually in fives and tens as they, they rate guys on this scale. 80 would be max. 20 is the bottom of the scale. So they've got his fastball rated at a 50. They've got his curveball at a 55. His cutter is at a 45. Apparently, that's a pitch he added late in the season. And from the report here, they say that they were absolutely crushing that pitch. So a work in progress. They've got his changeup at a 55. His control at a 60. Like I said, strike thrower. And overall, they've got him as a 40 grade. Now, from what I'm hearing, uh, the curveball and the changeup are pretty good. He throws the changeup against lefties. We've seen a lot of righties do this, where they throw the changeup specifically against lefties because uh, it breaks away from them. Uh, and how he uses that curveball, apparently it's a 12 to 6 curveball, so a big drop on that curveball. Yeah, it's going to be uh, really interesting. This guy should start at AAA. And he is going to be another one in that mix. Like I said, with Cody Morris, he's going to be in that 6 through 8, 6 through 9 in the rotation. Someone ready to go when called upon. He is going to be ready to make his Major League debut. And uh, just to let you know, I mean, this difference between strikeouts and walks, why this guy is known for pounding the strike zone, 11.2 strikeouts per 9 to 2.1 walks per 9. That's a pretty darn good ratio. Over Now, obviously, he played at AA and AAA this season. Obviously, the numbers were slightly better at AA and slightly worse at AAA. You would expect that. We've seen that when we've looked at a lot of our own minor leaguers. That first year they move up, they always struggle a little bit, facing some older talent, uh, more experienced talent, and then those numbers kind of come back to what they were in their first full year uh, at that level. So... The numbers do dip a little bit when he moved up a level, but still pretty impressive numbers. I mean, the strikeout and the walk numbers hold pretty well at the AAA level uh, compared to the AA level. And what I gave you, the 11.2 and the 2.1, was overall for the entire season split between the two levels. So that's the guy you just got from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, He's 23 years old. He's not a tall guy, 6'193". Um, they say his fastball lives somewhere between 91 and 95. So he's not one of these guys that's going to blow you away, but he's going to pound the strike zone. I mean, frankly, sounds a little bit like an Aaron Savali type. Uh, so we'll see what we get from Tobias Myers. And, uh, he is going to be in that AAA rotation ready to go for the guardians if called upon. So, those were the names added and protected on the 40-man roster. Um, some big, big decisions that had to be made by the Guardians. And there's plenty of names that were left off. Uh, there were plenty of names that were not protected. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Rule 5 draft if it eventually gets here. Uh, it has to, the, the Major League Baseball and the Players Association have to figure out their labor agreement, I think, for the Rule 5 draft to happen. So if there is some kind of lockout or stalemate or whatever you want to call it, because it's not really, you know, it's not going to really be an effective strike until spring training rolls around anyway. So they can go into some kind of lockout for December and January without affecting the season. Basically, they're just stalling their negotiations a little bit longer. 
Um, that could happen and not affect the season at all, but it would push back things like the Rule 5 draft. Uh, so uh, we will see what happens. I think Joey Cantillo was a name that was left unprotected that people were a little surprised about. I think outfielder Will Benson. Um, Cantillo, I guess, was dealing with all tons of injuries that just didn't make him worth protecting. And then some of these guys are just very young. I mean, Tanya, I told you, Tanya and Noel, they were very, very young guys that they went out and protected. And you just couldn't do that with all of these young guys. I mean, it's actually shocking how many names are available across Major League Baseball, and especially for the Guardians. And I think there's two reasons for that. Obviously, the Guardians probably were attracted to a lot of high school talent recently. They probably drafted a lot of high school talent, which means these guys are very young and they haven't progressed up the system that quickly because of their age, because they are so young and there's not as big of a rush to get them to the major league as opposed to someone who was like a senior in college and 23 when you're drafting them. The other thing is that the Guardians, frankly, have incredible ties to Latin America. Incredible ties to the Dominican and Venezuela and Puerto Rico, and they recruit guys down there, and they sign very young. They sign very young. They'd still be in high school here in the States, and they're already signing with the Major League Baseball team. So yeah, that's why a guy could be 20 years old and eligible for the Rule 5 draft already, because you sign, I mean, what did they, I, I don't know what the age cut off, I think it's, I think it's younger than 18 uh, for some of these guys down there uh, in some of these countries, so uh, that is going to cause guys to need to progress up your system quickly or be eligible for the Rule 5 draft, uh, so we'll see what who gets plucked from the Guardians minor league system and if the Guardians do any plucking. I was looking for a list of names to see who was out there, uh, you know, potential top prospects of eligible for the Rule 5 draft, and I'm not seeing any list yet. So it was mostly lists of guys that were protected and not guys that were available. But I'm sure those lists and those articles are coming in the days to come. All right. The other big news, and I kind of buried the lead on this one, is that we are officially the Guardians. It has finally happened. They uh, have dealt with all the legal things that they need to deal with. You can still go out and get Cleveland Guardians roller derby merch if you want and wear it to the game and be that ironic guy or girl. And uh, everyone will probably give you a high five and point and laugh. And you'll probably make some friends wearing your Guardians roller derby merch. But the jokes will continue. But we are officially the Guardians. So the social medias have changed over, the website has changed over, and most importantly, the merch is now available. The team shop opened. And uh, I was not planning on it. I absolutely was not planning on going down there. But, but every now and then, my work takes me uh, out into downtown Cleveland, and I happen to be at Key Tower filming something uh, on Friday, and I was like, I'm too, I'm too close. I'm, I'm right there. It was like 1230. I'm like, I'm right there. I got to go check it out. So I saw the social media posts in the morning of people standing in line to get into the team shop at, you know, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., uh, sliders out there in his suit and tie greeting people. Um, I saw all the social media posts. And I was like, you know what? I've got the time. I've got the time. I could take a few minutes before I drive back to the office. I went and checked it out. And yeah, I ended up spending too much money. Absolutely. 
But what I can tell you is that the Guardians and the the Diamond Sea look pretty good on a t-shirt. They do. They look pretty good on a t-shirt. And I saw a lot of people talking about the font. It's not always that jagged diamond font. Like they were using block fonts. They were using cursive fonts on the different shirts. Um, So you'll see a bunch of different fonts when it comes to some of them look like old Indians t-shirts, the same kind of fonts they were using back then um, on the different shirts. A lot of block C and a lot of flying baseballs, the flying G, whatever you want to call it, um, the winged baseball, the winged G logo, um, tons of that, especially on the women's stuff. I picked up a t-shirt for my wife. Most of the women's stuff, almost all of it has the flying G, the flying baseball uh, logo on it. A lot of the men's stuff was mixed. It, uh, I found plenty of stuff that didn't have that. So I've got my new Diamond C hat. I'm ready to go for the season. I've actually been looking for a new Cleveland baseball hat for a long time. I went too small on the size the last time I picked up a Cleveland hat. And so I was waiting for these new hats so I could get one. I needed to get one that actually fit. I've been wearing an old Phillies hat for the last few years just because it's really comfortable to wear hiking and boating. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, I've been waiting for a hat and I, I did it. I went down there and got it. And I can tell you some of the merch looks pretty cool. Some of it does. There's plenty of homage t-shirts. If you're a fan of those really soft, comfortable homage t-shirts, they have a good partnership with MLB going, and a lot of stuff in the team shop was homage t-shirts. So uh, plenty of Nike stuff and new era stuff. And so, yeah, I think you're all going to be very happy this holiday season. I think I think you're going to find a few... A few Guardians presents, I think, for you. If you're listening to this podcast, then your family probably knows that you're a big baseball fan. And I'm guessing you've got some Guardians merch coming your way this holiday season. So that was fun. And everything's official. Changed the name of the podcast over. I dropped all the parentheses and things like that. There's no more sugarcoating it. We are the Cleveland Guardians baseball team. So, uh, yeah. So that is the other big piece of news from Friday. The one thing I wanted to talk about, because we love talking MLB news, and we kind of already talked about, uh, you know, a possible MLB lockout. Manford basically looks like he's asking for it. I mean, the commissioner of baseball is basically like, yeah, it's probably going to happen. From all reports, and this was part one of Chris's questions in his email, uh, he asked uh, any updates on the negotiations for the new CBA. Um, prior to the expiration date, which I believe he believes and I believe is December 1st. So yeah, the, what I'm hearing is they're very far apart. Uh, there, There's all sorts of new ideas being tossed out there on how the economics of baseball could work, right? Whether it's ceiling, uh, salary floors, whether it's changes to the luxury tax as a salary cap, whether it's changes to arbitration and things like that, talking about uh, you know arbitration just coming from a pool of money and things like that, um, it all changes the economics of baseball. The players obviously are working to get the most money they could possibly get, and the owners are trying to work on saving the most money they possibly can. Boy, what a shock. So yeah, there could be a lockout, but you would hope that they realized the impact a lockout could have it affected the season. So, 
Extending labor talks through December into January, fine. You start getting these labor talks into February, March, you are messing with the season, which means you're messing with the bottom line, which means it's a bad decision from the owners. You've got to get this thing hammered out. You cannot let your sport fall behind the other sports with another lockout that affects actual games. So we'll see how those progress, and it's going to delay things like the Rule 5 draft. It's going to ruin some of our off-season fun, some of our hot stove fun, because I really expect the Guardians to be looking at outfielders in this Rule 5 draft. They have to. They absolutely have to. There's just way too much talent just sitting out there in minor league baseball that they can't, you know, that they're not going to make a move on somebody to improve this team. There's too many holes to fill, whether it's at catcher or second base or the outfield. There's way too many holes, even in the, uh, maybe not, well, they did it in the bullpen. They did it with Trevor Steffen. So, yeah, maybe in the bullpen. Uh, so there's way too many holes to fill that they, they won't take a shot at somebody. And there are names on this roster. There are names still on this Guardians roster that can very easily be dropped in a second. And Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado aren't the only ones. Logan Allen is a name that could very quickly be gone. Sam Henches is a name that could very quickly be gone to make room for somebody else. Uh, Carlos Vargas is someone that everyone's surprised to still see on there. Apparently, with the lockout and Tommy John surgery, he just has not pitched in a very long time. Clearly, someone they still feel is worth protecting, a minor leaguer. But I guess there's another name that you could very easily uh, part ways with. Would one of these, his next question, Chris's next question, Chris, I'm just kind of peppering your email throughout. His his first question was blown away. He asked about my top five locks to be added to the 40-man roster. Well, Chris, I guess that question was answered. His next was about the log jam of middle infield talent, and where do I see that shaking out? Um, who could be cleared out? to make room for some of these younger guys between Chang, Clement, Jimenez, and Miller. Well, uh, this Rule 5 draft would be an indication of that because they could very easily part ways with Ernie Clement or they could part ways with... It'd be really hard to see him parting ways with Owen Miller. I mean, you just got him in that trade for San Diego. It'd be really hard seeing them part ways with Yu Chang because I think he's the perfect utility infielder for them going into next season. So, yeah, what'll be interesting there. And then, like I said, Mercado in the outfield uh, and Bradley Zimmer. Josh Naylor? Ooh, I can't see them parting ways with Josh Naylor. Coming back from the injury, uh, there's still so much potential there for Josh Naylor, who, whatever position he ends up playing. So, yeah, so there's some names. If they're going to make a move, one of those names is gone. Like, you, someone is gone if they're going to make one of those moves. So, uh, that is going to affect that lockout, though, is going to affect all that and all those decisions. Now, the other thing is the MVP news. Um, Shohei Otani wins the AL MVP. Bryce Harper wins the NL MVP. Uh, Robbie Ray wins the AL Cy Young. And Corbin Burns wins the NL Cy Young. And then um, Jonathan India wins the uh, NL Rookie of the Year. And a Rosa Reina wins the AL Rookie of the Year. So uh, there were, most of these weren't too controversial. Um, but the one that was the probably the most controversial was the NL Cy Young. And not controversial, but hotly debated. Uh, as great of a season 
that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had offensively. I think everybody knew that Shohei Otani, it was a unanimous vote, too, in the AL. So clearly, all the writers were in agreement that what Otani did this season between hitting and pitching and being the face of Major League Baseball was worthy of the MVP. So a great offensive season for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. unfortunately does not win him the the AL MVP. But the NL Cy Young, for some reason, everybody really locked in on this one. And it came down to Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler. And the reason is because Zach Wheeler threw almost 50 more innings than Corbin Burns. But Burns takes the award. But when you look at their numbers, Burns was objectively better. I mean, he only pitched in four less games, 32 starts to 28 starts. So clearly, Milwaukee just had more faith in their bullpen, and they just had a different strategy where they'd go to their bullpen a little bit quicker than the Phillies did. They left Zach Wheeler out there. Wheeler had three complete games, including two shutouts. Burns did not have one complete game, obviously no shutouts, for uh, Milwaukee. So it's just a different approach, a different strategy. His ERA was 35 points better. Uh, Corbin Burns' was. Um, his ERA plus was way better, 176 ERA plus to a 150 ERA plus. So that is comparing against the rest of the league. That is a pretty stark difference there. His FIP was almost an entire point less, 1.63 to 2.59. We talked about FIP, fielding independent pitching. So it's the three true outcomes, the things you can control, strikeouts, walks, home runs. Um, His home runs per nine were less. His hits per nine were less. His walks per nine were slightly less, by 1.8 to 1.9, and his strikeouts per nine were higher, 12.6 to 10.4. So yes, Zach Wheeler threw almost 50 more innings, but Corbin Burns was objectively the better pitcher when he was standing on the mound. So I think they made the right decision. I think they did. When it comes to war, um, now this is interesting. This is an argument Zach Wheeler can make when it comes to war. Wheeler actually beats Burns in this category, according to baseball reference. Uh, it's 7.6 to 5.6. That is a significant difference, but, uh, win probability added, they are much closer. Win probability added. It is 3.3 for Burns to 3.4 for Wheeler. So, Uh, those are two stats um, that are kind of in stark difference from each other. But then if you look at some of those actual numbers, um, some of those advanced numbers, some of those ratio numbers, you see where Burns was actually the more effective pitcher on the season. So I think they made the right decision. I would agree that Burns probably wins, uh, deserves the NL Cy Young over Wheeler based on the numbers I'm seeing here. So Man, that is all the big MLB news. Uh, Yeah, this was a fun little episode. I like thinking about this 40-man roster. I agree with Chris that, uh, you know, our emailer here, that these uh, off-season decisions are fun. I, whenever I play, you know, whenever I play an MLB baseball, a video game, or even a basketball or a football, you know, Madden or uh, the old, uh, what was the old college uh, football game was awesome back in the day. I love transaction time. I love when you'd get to the end of the season and get to make all the big transaction decisions, right? When you get to draft players, when you get to sign free agents, that was kind of my favorite part of some of those video games because these decisions are fun and tough. These are really, really tough decisions that go on this time of year. So 
I agree with Chris. This this is some fun stuff going on right now uh, for the Guardians, and it's ex- you know I am excited of what the twenty twenty two season can hold. Watching what's going on right now, um, we didn't even talk about the free agent contracts that are going on right now. Um, oh, what's his name? Thor Noah Syndergaard gets a big contract, a one year contract with the Angels. Um, Jose Barrios signs a big long contract up in Toronto. And frankly, a contract maybe, maybe can you be used as a comp when it's time to offer Shane Bieber a long-term extension. I mean, I think about it. Think about when you're buying a house, right? And I'm loving the, I hope there's some like 16, 17-year-old fans of Cleveland Baseball Mornings that are listening to this podcast right now going, I haven't thought about buying a house. What are you talking about? All right, for us older fans, when you're buying a house, comps are a big deal. Other homes in the area that if what price they've sold for are a big influence over what price you're buying or selling a house for. And I feel like that's going to hold true in Major League Baseball. Jose Rio signing this, I think it was seven years, 150 million ish, something in that range. That's going to have a major impact on the kind of contract that Shane Bieber's agent is going to be looking for. Because arguably, you could say Bieber has been. Comparable as Aces, but slightly better than Jose Barrios has been for Minnesota and now Toronto. So he's probably going to be looking for something a little bit bigger. So would they have to go seven years, 180 million? Seven years, 210. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Or, I mean, are they just going to keep playing the youth game? Are they just going to keep churning like the Tampa Bay Rays do? And will it never get to that point that the Guardians offer? Shane Bieber, a long-term contract. I don't know. I I, I really, really hope. Clear, clearly, the Guardians front office feels like they don't have to do anything to sell us on this new era of Cleveland baseball uh, because they haven't yet. Uh, they pick up the option on Jose Ramirez, but uh, we all want the long-term contract for Jose Ramirez and for Shane Bieber. Those are the two guys that you are staring at when you look at this roster going, Please lock them up. Please lock these two guys up. I want to cheer for both of these guys for the next 10 years as Guardians players. Please lock them up to contracts. So we will see what happens. Um, There is a lot of offseason left to go, and it is a very exciting time to be a Cleveland Guardians fan. So thank you for everybody that's been supporting the show through the offseason. Like I said, the offseason numbers have actually been fantastic. I'm very excited about what Cleveland Baseball Mornings is going to be heading into next season. We're going to make a real push to make this the premier fan podcast, the unaffiliated podcast. You know, I'm not affiliated with The Athletic or MLB.com or anything like that. Just a guy who loves talking baseball. So I appreciate everybody out there that's supporting the show. Uh, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris, and you can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on all the off-season news, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you want to go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.